0: Sponsor Juniper Abstra's intent-based multi-vendor networking solution helps you build your data center network to a specific design, then make sure it stays within that spec. Deployment automation and continuous validation. Find out more at juniper.net slash pushers slash AppStra.
1: Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And boy, howdy, have I got an amazing show for you today. And I say I because it's just me. It's just Ned. I'm riding solo. Ethan had some things going on. I'm like, you know what? I got this. I can handle this. You know why? Because I am super pumped to talk to today's guest. Her name is Kyler Middleton, and she is the principal DevOps network architect at Veradime, And she's going to be talking about building builders with Azure DevOps pipelines. We've got some Terraform in there and we get into the nitty gritty. So if you're looking for a fun technical episode where we go way deep on some technology, this is the one for you. So stay tuned for this episode with Kyler Middleton. Well, Kyler, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Now, your title, you're a principal DevOps network architect, which sounds like at least three different jobs to me. So uh, tell me what's going on with that title and what you do.
2: Absolutely. They wouldn't let me put any other job titles in there or it would have been even longer. It, so my background is, is network engineering, and I came into this as a network engineer, and then they said, hey, we're going to the cloud. You better figure it out. So I dove into that. <laughs> and I, I'm at a highly DevOps automated shop in terms of like uh, Form and Terraform and infrastructure as code and automation and... I uh, just culturally, Truly DevOps. I'd love to talk more about that. And so I just kept tacking them on, you know, put another <laughs> job into that job title. Yeah. Uh, and in my experience, DevOps is everything. You know, you're the bridge between all the different specialties. So uh, I find it a lot of fun to talk to everybody and breathe a bridge to everything.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. You can kind of be a little bit of a generalist, even if you come from a specific background. And you said you come from a networking background, which I think before we started recording, you that's kind of rare to find someone who comes from that networking background and makes the move into DevOps. Do you think there's a reason for that?
2: I think it's because people like me that wanted to hide away from all of the users uh, <laughs> find their, you know, their safe haven with networking, uh, because you get to sit in a dark, dank networking closet and plug in all the cables and never talk to anyone. Um, but for some reason I gravitated towards it. I find it really logical, like hyper logical and interesting to think about latencies. And the internet is just fascinating. It's, it's shaped our culture in a neat way, but, uh, it's just a network, you know, it just connects the computers. Uh, so I was just curious about it and learned it and dove in and, uh, why, uh, networking people don't tend towards DevOps. I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, there's a lot of software engineering that comes into it. And that was sure hard to pick up coming from an infrastructure background. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the hardest part. Um, but I'm, uh, incredibly social for, you know, all of the roles I've ever had, which really helps. I think I I can just attach to you and, and and cling on and (laughs) learn anything from you like sponge wise. So (laughs) that's
1: the goal of all of this. Um, that totally makes sense to me. I think it definitely takes a certain type of personality to move from your vertical where you feel comfortable out to this you know crazy world where you're getting asked to learn about development. And a big part of that is learning how to automate things, which I guess like in networking, automation almost feels like it's a few years behind. Can, can you tell me a little bit about what your automation journey looked like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. When I uh, a couple of years ago, I was a strong network engineer. I, I'm not uh, Ethan Level, you know, but <laughs> doing great. I I own my own consulting gig uh, and was just bouncing around, traveling full time, making great money, and hardly ever seeing my partner, which was a little sad. Mm-hmm. But doing yeah. great network wise. And as you read in the industry and you meet people, you see the writing on the wall. Cloud is coming. Cloud is everything. And when cloud is dominant and becomes it eats the world, you know. We're not going to have data centers. We're going to have data center or a couple, you know. It's going to be Azure and uh, Microsoft uh, and AWS, yeah. and that's it, you know. <laughs> and there's not going to be your your data centers. There's just you know your Wi-Fi access point, and that's it. So uh, I find it very compelling in an existential sense that I learn automation and I learn DevOps and I learn cloud because that's all there's gonna be in a couple of years. And maybe that's a little bit of exaggeration. I can be <laughs> dramatic if you don't hear that in my voice, but I, I think that's what's coming. So that's what I try to teach people is uh, learn your vertical, be excellent at it because it's, it's foundational um, knowledge that you can piece together to learn other things, other verticals or, and be the bridge uh, of DevOps. But you need to learn cloud. You need to learn automation. It's coming, it's going to eat your specialty. So get ready.
1: Wow. Yeah. And you, you mentioned teaching and you, like, like me, are a plural site author. So it seems like you like to do more than just a little bit of teaching, right?
2: I do. I, uh, it's, it's sort of my hobby in a sense. I would do it for free. So it's, I've found it. Don't great tell hobby. anybody.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, I love it. The, the role that I'm in now, which I think we'll get into a little bit more later is, uh, cloud platform ownership. And I, I get to just, be the expert of cloud and of automation and of platform and tooling. And I uh, don't solve my own problems. I solve everybody else's problems, which uh, it's sure easier to teach everybody around me to fish than it is to fish for everybody. (laughs) So I just end up training everybody to do my job. And I love that. I I don't see any uh, problem in terms of I I use this analogy a lot of uh, kingdom building or moat Mm. building around your specialty. You never let anybody in. You can't get fired. Right. But (laughs) the business is moving. The industry is moving all the time. And if you're sitting still, you're getting left behind. So you have a great job security for a while.
1: (laughs) You you build a castle, you build a moat. Sure. You've kept other people out, but then you've also kept yourself in. You've bricked yourself into this castle. And then when things move on, you can't go with them. You, you've had this this structure. You can't move. So that's wow. That's that, I like that way of, of thinking about it. Now, you mentioned your role and teaching people to fish. I think that's a huge point. I definitely want to hammer on is you have all these other groups that were relying on you to provide a platform and mm-hmm. you don't want to be overwhelmed by all of them asking you to do stuff. So you have to figure out. How do I teach them to help themselves? How do I build a platform that self-service? And, and to that end, uh, you created a presentation, uh, I guess it was an internal presentation initially, called Terraform mm-hmm. to Deploy Container Driven Builders in Azure DevOps, which, wow, that's a title. Um, mm-hmm. And then you shared it with the world, which is awesome. So uh, with that title, you're gonna have to break that down for me a little bit. What is going on in this presentation?
2: You can tell with job titles or presentation titles, I like to just keep adding things on and build this <laughs> constellation of cool stuff. Um, yeah. So I own the platform with another engineer, and we also have a time, So it's myself and Saigi and Jordan Cook uh, over at veridime inside Allscripts. And we own the platform, which I've said a lot, but I like to define it because people don't know what yeah, that means. What is a
1: platform? Yeah.
2: Totally. We own all of the tooling. We own the how. So if someone says, I need to do a specific thing, uh, can you help me? What tooling should I use? How do I secure it? How do I deploy it? How do I make it maintainable? That's us. Uh, we (laughs) help define the, the languages and the standards. And like someone has a container that they need to build and deploy and manage. Well, we've done that before, so we can help you move very quickly. So it's, it's a ton of fun to be the, Sharp edge, you know, Mm -hmm. of getting stuff done, and I think I've lost the point of your question. I've (laughs) lost the plot, but I'm having too much fun just talking. (laughs) (laughs) It
1: it almost sounds like a a center of excellence. We we did a whole show on cloud center of excellence, and that was more of a, a consultative thing where there was a cloud center of excellence that would create some standards, but they weren't directly necessarily teaching anybody or running the cloud. They were just there Mm -hmm. to create and help develop standards that other groups would adopt. This sounds a little bit different than that.
2: Yeah, totally. I think there's two functions that I usually bundle up into one. So function one is we establish the standards and also build supportive infrastructure to lower the bar of like someone needs to deploy a container. There's a lot of supportive infrastructure there that you need to check it into a ci you need to test it you need to deploy with the cd uh run it uh, maintain it manage it monitor it there, there's tons of stuff that could take you six months if you're doing it all by yourself uh but if we have that supportive infrastructure in place ready to go you just check in a docker file and i can do it i can do the rest of it in a day because uh, we've spent the time so uh that is totally starkly different from when someone comes to us and says hey i I don't understand what Docker is. Can you explain why it matters, um, what it is? What is Terraform and why do I care? I get that all the time. So <laughs> I'm constantly sort of proselytizing my religion of Terraform. My my wife is not even in tech and she is very tired of hearing me say this word, Terraform. Um, <laughs>
1: I'm laughing because I can relate. I, I use a lot of Terraform and I've done courses on Terraform. My, my wife kind of knows what it is now. She's like, oh, God, mm-hmm. that again. But hey. I love it. What can I say?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And on this specific presentation, this was uh, when we we try to get ahead of the challenges that are coming for our application developers. So we could see that we had a couple of teams that were starting to uh, create Docker files and deploy them and manage them inside of Kubernetes. And they were having a lot of troubles, like, how does networking work inside Mm. Kubernetes? how does DNS work? If I want to have an SSL cert, what name do I use? Because Kubernetes has its own DNS namespace. Mm-hmm. Challenges that you know, I have no idea. You know, I, I haven't done this before. So when we identify stuff like that, we go out and proof of concept it in the infrastructure, the supportive stuff that we've built and we maintain. Is there an opportunity for us to integrate, you know, the new hotness, the new cool <laughs> thing, into it? And right. it's maybe a little heavy. Like we don't need Kubernetes to run our CI/CD. But we can use Kubernetes to run our CI CD. Why not? <laughs> um, so that was part of this. Uh, we decided to convert all of our builders, all of the uh, hosts that are registered to our CI CD and run all the pipeline jobs uh, into Docker and have them automatically rebuild and automatically patch and deploy. And we built all sorts of stuff, not because the CI CD needed it. I, I do think it benefited from it, but it's more because I know in the near future, An application developer is going to say, hey, I need to do this. Can you show me how? And I can say, I've done that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Okay, so you're not only building the platform for yourself for you know, jobs that come in and want to use that CIC pipeline. But if another group is thinking about adopting the same technology, you've got a template now. You can say, oh, hey, I have this workflow figured out. You can borrow it and build off of it. And they're not reinventing the wheel themselves.
2: Absolutely. Because every dev team, we, we operate as kind of a skunkworks inside Viridyme, which I think is becoming more of a common practice, mm-hmm. that you have these small strike teams, two pizza teams in the AWS lingo, right. that are working on their own thing. And if all of them need to learn Kubernetes or Terraform or CICDs separately, that's a lot of overlap, right? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of friction that we can remove from the system and improve everybody's lives. So that's our goal. No more friction,
1: right? Devs want to dev. Let them dev. Why not? Totally. I
2: don't speak Java. You do your Java. I'll
1: do the rest. Oh yeah. And I don't want to speak Java. I did that in college <laughs> and I'm, I'm dating myself here because this was Java in the 2000 early 2000s, but I had to learn Java. And as soon as I could forget it, I did. And I'm, I'm better for it. Nope. I think
2: 100% <laughs> same PHP and JavaScript and it's mm-hmm. gone. I don't remember it at all.
1: So you are trying to you're using docker to build agents that are going to run your CI/CD pipeline. Have I got mm-hmm. that correct? I got that. Yep, that, absolutely. Okay. okay. What did you do prior to implementing this?
2: Totally. So we did the MVP, the the very easy and some of your listeners are going to cringe, I think, because this is not a good solution, which is why we iterated on it. We started with just simple EC2 or virtual machine instances in AWS or Azure uh, that are long lived. They're just you know, simple machines that you would install, mm-hmm. Windows or Linux, and you put this little implant on it that registers it to your CSCD in a pool, and they take jobs and they're long lived. So they receive a job and they run it and they just continue going on and they get the next job and they, they run it, uh, which works great except we have a lot of different teams that need a lot of different things, like different versions of Java, different versions of all sorts of tooling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, devs are going to find a way. They are ingenious (laughs) at finding a way. So if the wrong version of Java is on our builders, they'll add a step to their pipeline to install their version of Java, uh, Mm. which works great for them. And then the next person that runs their job hasn't touched Java, it suddenly is broken. Uh, so we have all of these really fragile relationships that are only, uh, only surfaced when a dev team goes and does something, which is constantly. So this was a very fragile, uh, security problematic design. Uh, that was very simple, you know, it was easy to get off the ground, but definitely showed its, uh, showed its problems as we started to scale.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So you, your builders are they're just virtual machines, like you said, or EC2 instances, mm-hmm. and they are mm-hmm. hooked into I believe you're using Azure DevOps pipelines to run mm-hmm. your CI/CD pipeline. So yep. when a pipeline kicks off, it needs to go run somewhere. And I know mm-hmm. Microsoft provides hosted agents. You didn't want to use those. You wanted to use your own self hosted agents. So you install the agent software on a virtual machine and it mm-hmm. dials back to Azure DevOps and says, hey, I'm here, I can run a job. But yep, absolutely. It sounds like the problem is when, uh, as you expressed it, when one person goes and runs their build, and maybe they're using Maven or whatever to to build their application, and they want, and it's a Java application, they need a specific version, and then the next person mm-hmm. needs a different version. So you've got that detritus laying around your image, but you also you mentioned a security issue. So what was the security issue that you were seeing with this long lived runner host? that you had going.
2: Absolutely. And this is systemically a problem with Azure DevOps. Maybe if there's any Microsoft engineers out there that want to fix those, please do. Uh, (laughs) What we noticed was when we would run a job, uh, a lot of these CI/CD jobs need access to secure files, secure variables, or uh, SSH keys or private keys. They download all sorts of stuff to do their jobs and when the jobs are finished they do not automatically clean up their workspaces Mm. we can add a step that deletes it but that's a manual step that we had to invent in-house and the problem with that is these builders are long-lived and their workspaces are long-lived so if someone submits a malicious job that uploads that workspace to you know a third party or their own <laughs> their own dropbox right. they're getting all of the staged secure files for however long that builder's workspace has been active which for our old model was months or years that's that's a lot of data and in a in a regulated environment like we're in healthcare that's very scary that's a very poor security practice
1: got you okay and i guess the other Downside to that beyond just security and, you know, your application teams being at loggerheads is when there's no jobs running, that agent's just hanging out, consuming compute time, doing nothing when uh, it would be nice to just shut it down. Did you try something like implementing virtual machine scale sets or auto scale on AWS to at least make the cluster more dynamic?
2: On the AWS side, we never did. It's just a T2 micro, so it's like $15 a month or something. Okay, so it yeah. didn't really care. Uh, on the Azure side, uh, Cyg, my my um, partner in crime in Veridime, is an Azure expert, and he used scale sets to every couple of hours or every day rebuild the hosts, which is great. You're still... Um, susceptible to this problem of someone could submit a malicious job right Mm -hmm. after a valid job, but it sort of minimizes the blast radius in a great way. Uh, So yeah, Packer built images managed through scale sets. They're not built on demand, but we have enough jobs that flow through on the Azure general compute pool that that didn't make sense for us. Okay, We did look at it later using like code build or something to queue up a builder job. But that feels a little heavy for us, given how cheap the static infrastructure is. So, Mm.
1: Okay. Okay. Now you mentioned that you're using Packer. And when, when you sort of posited the problem, my first thought immediately went to Packer. Like if I was building builders, building builders, (laughs) building virtual machines (laughs) or virtual machine images that I wanted to run agent jobs, I would build the image using Packer. Were there Mm -hmm. some, downsides to using packer that made you then go look at docker instead
2: only that it takes a long time to do its job i think otherwise it's it's basically equivalent to docker uh there's architectural differences but operationally kind of the same uh however building stuff with packer takes a really long time like i think we had a windows build that takes eight to 10 hours. So it, it has to run overnight. Wow. And if we want to, yeah, <laughs> we customize <laughs> the heck out of our stuff. But if we want to expose this process in a transparent way to all of our teams so they can start customizing and building their own stuff, uh that development loop of eight to 10 hours to see if their change worked, like that's a whole workday. They would have right. to submit a change and then check tomorrow. Uh, Whereas with Docker, it can be, you know, it could be hours, but generally it's minutes to see whether their thing worked. And so that development cycle being that much shorter is a huge win for us.
0: I interrupt this podcast conversation and possibly myself to explain who the heck sponsor Appstra is. In a nutshell, multi-vendor network automation plus continuous validation. And I stress multi-vendor, because if you've been paying attention to acquisition news, you know that Appstra was bought by Juniper a while back. So you might be thinking you don't care about Appstra unless you're a Juniper shop, and that is just not true. Appstra can handle data center network automation across a spectrum of vendors. So what do we mean by data center automation anyway? we mean that you design the dc network to meet some business requirements you have and you do that within the abstract interface and let's say it's leaf spine with evpn abstra has got access to the network devices themselves, and it takes your intent to create that leaf spine physical network with an EVPN overlay and configures it for you. I mean, Astra can't plug the cables in for you, right? You still have to do that bit. But Astra can tell you when the cabling is out of whack, whether that's during the day zero build out phase or the day two, hey, it looks like an optic failed phase. And that's sort of the point here cabling, routing relationships, device and link addressing, inter-switch links, VLANs, VTEPS, mappings, Tons of these things, so many that you don't want to have to do that configuration yourself. It seems fun until you're actually building it, and then you realize it's totally not fun. You want software to stand up the data center fabric for you. Software is not going to fat finger an address. Software is not going to forget to update BGP policy. Software, software loves you. <laughs> right? Okay, not all software loves you, but AppStra software does so much so that it not only helps get that fabric built, but keeps it built the way you intended. Something goes out of spec, Apstra will enforce your intent, which should help you reduce security vulnerabilities, by the way, and alert you to the bits that need a human's attention. Apstra claims up to 80% improvements in operational efficiency, 70% improvements in mean time to resolution, and 90% improvements in time to deliver. And that is a lot of love. Find out more at juniper.net slash packetpushers slash abstra. If you're a data center network engineer, this is worth your investigation. Once more, that's juniper.net slash packetpushers slash abstra. And if you talk to your Juniper rep about abstra, make sure to tell them you heard about them on Packet Pushers. juniper.net slash packetpushers slash abstra. And now, back to the podcast.
1: Now one thing that you mentioned, and this is something I haven't really heard very often, is Windows and containers. Like in the same sentence, like you're you're really legitimately using Windows containers. So tell me what that's like,
2: absolutely. And what it is like is painful. So <laughs> okay. when we first started, we were so naive, and we just thought this must be a problem that's solved. You know the new Microsoft. The cloud-friendly, docker-friendly .NET ported uh, Microsoft. Surely they have put Windows on Docker. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kind of. It sort of runs. Uh, Our idea was that we would get rid of all of our our thick Packer-built hosts right away, like Mm -hmm. really quickly, replace them all with Docker, blaze the trail for everyone else. And Windows, we are running into so many issues as we do that. I, I think we are still progressing, but it's very slow where some of these tools like .NET builds require a certain Visual Studio code to be installed or a certain Visual Studio. And there aren't command line installs of those tools, because why would you have a command line install of an IDE? (laughs) Um, So we are just Frankensteining the heck out of it. And... It's working, but it's very slow. And sometimes we need to look to third party tools, but we have to be very careful and cautious around those again, just regulated environment. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to be touching any kind of healthcare data, we need to know the origin of all that code. So slow and steady, uh, we're working towards it. I, I swear Cy at some point is going to be on the same podcast and he's going to talk about his <laughs> great new windows containers.
1: I, I will take him up on that because I I've legitimately <laughs> been looking for a use case for windows containers for quite some time. Cause I'm like, why would you do it? Like if you're going to make the jump to containers, why not just use, you know, .NET core and Linux and call it a day. But I'm, this is a legitimate use. I want to use containers as my build host and mm-hmm. some of my builds need Windows, so okay. Yep. Wow, we found it. We found the one use case.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we think it makes tons of sense in, in context, but operationally it has been so painful to do. And even just Docker in, in general, we've run into so many issues like our um, our nesting doll problem where we converted all our builders to Docker and you know, we opened the champagne and we celebrated And then we tried to build the Docker image on them and Docker can't build Docker. And so we were immediately stymied that like, oh, well, good job. You have blocked your build process totally. Uh, So we reached like, surely someone has solved this. I I say that a lot because I feel like maybe we are on the cutting edge. I, I don't think that we are. I don't frame myself that way, but we keep running into issues that others haven't solved yet. Uh, so GitHub, Azure DevOps, they use Packer Build Runners for all of their hosted running. Uh, and surely it would be a lot cheaper to use Docker, like share the kernel. They're much more lightweight, they're quicker, um, but people got to build Docker, you know? So yeah. I think uh, that's probably one of the major components, major reasons that they have not converted to Docker Build Runners. So I think we're, that, we're striving.
1: That gets into the next thing that I was going to ask about, actually, which is... Your build process for your builders, because it sounds like we got mm-hmm. two different things going here. We've got the process by which we create the builders and that mm-hmm. could be one pipeline. And then you have the actual pipelines that are running using those builders. So making the builders. Wh- where are the agents that are making the builders? It, it sounds like <laughs> you can't like you have the nesting doll problem. So what is that? does that process that pipeline look like that builds the builders?
2: Totally. Great question. It was going to be the same. It was going to be the same host. We would have the agent build the next iteration and then deploy the new agents. And you know, on paper, that's perfect. That looks right. great. But in reality, Docker can't build Docker. So we have been using the public builders to build the builder image, to build the, the Docker container image, okay. and then deploy it privately to run all the rest of our jobs. And that's been okay. Uh, that's definitely sort of a, a liminal state where we don't want to live forever. So we are potentially the, the, the primary reason for that is caching, which when you're using these public builders, you have none uh, in terms of the Docker build process. So our right. builds take hours instead of minutes uh, for the Windows side, at least. <laughs> right. Uh, so we're thinking of using a Packer built auto scale group. Going back to the beginning going back, to build yeah. our filter images so it's all a loop is the bottom line of this talk it's all a loop
1: right but that's a specific use case that you can handle with those packer build images and then everything Mm -hmm. else can use the builders that are spawned by by this pipeline i I didn't think about the caching problem because when you said hosted instances i was like Well, it's great. You're just leveraging instances that are available and out there and you can put everything in, you know, Azure Key Vault to keep all the secret stuff off of the host and just pass it Mm -hmm. through environment variables. So, you know, and then you put the artifact in Azure Container Registry or whatever in a private registry. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, Maybe I'm ticking some boxes that you already know, but this is I'm, (laughs) I'm building this out in my head a little bit. But yeah, then you get into I need to pull a Windows image to build off of. And that thing is probably a gig and a half, at least.
2: Yep. It's bulky. That Windows kernel is just bulky. Uh, Just compared to Linux, it's it's funny how well the Linux side works. It's just widely used everywhere. Uh, Google and Netflix are just full of these containers that spin up millions or billions of times a day. Right. Uh, But Windows images don't run. (laughs) So it's really a stark difference. Uh, But Yeah, we're we're using the the public builders to build the container image, uh, pushing it to like uh, ACS or ECS. And on that note, we we try to just have one image definition and push it to both places. So if we have an Ubuntu twenty o four, we build it one time and we push it to Azure, we push it to uh, AWS, and we use it in both places to try to just bridge the gap between the clouds. I know that's going to be you know, prediction that others have predicted before me. A major factor of a lot of new tech is Kubernetes clusters that span both clouds or um, overlay networks that make two clouds seem like one. We're seeing a lot of that. So we're trying to get in line and and notice the uh, change in weather and and get ready for it.
1: Got you. And one one thing that jumps out at me to deal with the caching issue is you could potentially mount an Azure file system on okay. the hosted builder and then use that to have cached images already there. But that's and that's a skunkworks thing we can talk about <laughs> off, off mic.
2: <laughs> totally. Um, I, I-, I attempted that where you connect to the ACS and you download the image and then but those images particularly Windows get to be really big because it's mm-hmm. not just the kernel, it's that Docker layering as we install all the Visual Studios that are potentially needed, which there are several um, it gets to be like five to 10 gigs and takes an hour to replicate from ACS. So I tried and it took like five minutes less and it had way more complexity. So I just dropped it. I'll just gotcha. wait five more minutes for simplicity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes it's not worth it <laughs> because the mm-hmm. juice isn't worth the squeeze as, as my friend Bobby <laughs> likes to say. Um, okay. So let's walk through a typical pipeline when you want to create one of those builder images. Uh, sure. what, what's the trigger that kicks off a new image build? Do you have it just running daily or is it more of a GitOps style? I, I I did a commit or a, or a push or a PR.
2: And the answer is yes, because uh, okay. I find both of those to be very valuable. So we have uh, Docker files and the startup entry point script checked into our CI, which is Azure DevOps. And we ask that anyone, ourselves included. So we made this very transparent and easy and documented because we want all of our teams to say, I need a new tool, and we say, Well, you know, go install it. (laughs) Here you go. Here's your fishing pole. Figure it out. Right. Uh, So we um we check in all those files, we have PRs against them. And when a PR is done, we automatically test it by building the image. Uh we would love to do more testing in the future, like a demo pipeline that queues a job and see if it runs. I love that. None <laughs> of that's in place today. It's just if the image builds with Docker, we call it a thumbs up uh, and we get some approvals, some human approvals. I, I like to call out like the robots approved it because Docker runs. Now we need some humans to say this actually makes sense. Right. Uh, and then we uh, merge the PR and that triggers a deployment, uh, which pushes it out to the ACR and the ECR. And because these containers are very short-lived in the sense that they only run a single job, Mm -hmm. uh, they're rapidly switched out. Uh, We don't do any kind of... I think on Azure, we have AKS do some like blue-green bot herding. When there's a new image, you spin down the old stuff. On the AWS side, I just destroyed the host after a job so if your job doesn't work and you need a new thing just run it twice <laughs> <laughs>
1: Makes sense. how are you tagging those images after you do the merge of the PR are you just using latest or do you have like a semantic versioning you're using for everything
2: we are just doing latest which I know some people are cringing uh I think this is again a kind of a liminal iterative state where we'll eventually get to semantic versioning and start using it but Right now, and especially maybe this is a CI CD problem, I don't see the benefit of doing semantic versioning, mm. uh, given that we're tracking all our changes in the CI. So if anything breaks, I can just roll back the CI. Uh, so I'm sure there are some varied opinions here. I wish we could take calls because someone could call in and argue I know, with me. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should, we should redo this as a Twitter Spaces and just have people drop in with questions. So 100%. maybe that's a future thing. I've been looking for a use for Twitter Spaces too. So between that and Windows Containers, I got some ideas now.
2: That'd be great.
1: I, I could see it where if someone knows they're using your builders for their app run and they found a version that works, and they just want to stay on that version until the next major rev comes out, you could have some minor and major versions and they could stay on the major version until you rev that and they could use tags to, to, to do that. So that's I guess that's one potential use case, but that's a pretty advanced use case where this whole system has been in place for a while and an application team is like, oh, we really like that one build. It seems to run fast.
2: Absolutely. 30 seconds in, I think you've converted me. That's a great use case. Absolutely.
1: Wow! look at that. All right. <laughs> so I think I have a pretty good idea of the the building the builders pipeline, but mm-hmm. your talk has Terraform in it. And so far we've been talking about Docker. We've been talking about Azure DevOps. We haven't mentioned mm-hmm. Terraform at all. How is Terraform being used in this whole process?
2: For sure. So I am an AWS guru, I, I think, like you as well. I, I love my AWS. <laughs> uh, so in order to deploy the ECS uh, and the ACR, so like the the registry where we store the image and the ECS that runs it as a service, mm-hmm. um, as well as all of the IAM policy, and there is a significant amount, uh, we use Terraform. I've built uh, generalized Terraform modules that do all of it. Uh, I think when I gave my talk, I shortened 250 lines of configuration down to like 17 uh, lines when you call the module. So wow. much simpler for when people call it. Right. Um, and a lot of that security is just because it's multi-account. Uh, our environment, like a lot of AWS environments, scales horizontally rather than vertically. So we have many AWS accounts mm-hmm. and uh, they're all little islands, which is so, it's very different from Azure. I'm i am having trouble learning <laughs> Azure because it's in, you know, it's implicitly federated. It's the security just works. Right. Um, so we store the uh, the image, the container image, as well as the secret, as well as the CMK that encrypts the secret in just a single account uh, to minimize like replication problems and things like that. And then we just sort of empower through IAM all of the other accounts to talk to it and grab what they need uh, very specifically. Uh, so tons of very specific IAM policies to get it done. Lots of iteration went into that. I have it working. It's on GitHub if you all want to copy my my good work. <laughs> absolutely.
1: I might take you up on that because IAM policies and roles are the bane of my existence. And I think absolutely that might be true of a lot of AWS people. It's just like, oh, God, I know it's IAM and I don't know how.
2: <laughs> I think it's, it's Windows Registry-esque everything runs on it but it is just a bear to dig into and understand yeah um i am part of a separate group that's starting up called i am pulse which is spinning out of okta that their whole focus is just writing I M policies and helping provide templates and like they found a whole business niche of just helping people lower the bar there because it is oh yeah painful sometimes
1: absolutely i'm surprised you're not using terraform to build the azure devops project in portion as well because no they do have a all provider that's my hand i I've would love it.
2: to do that i can't okay. believe it. so did it work well is is it um, mature I,
1: I have a github module that uh, I, I just say i have a module on github that does exactly that creates a project and will set up variable groups and serves connections and all that i'll share that with you after oh
2: that sounds great <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's you know if i can terraform it i absolutely will and that was uh that was a good example. Let's I can't wait. Let's move over to the run side of things, because we we talked so far about building the builders, but then Mm -hmm. you need to use those builders. So where are those builders running and how are folks taking advantage of them in their pipeline?
2: Totally. When I first started learning about Docker, I assumed it worked a lot like uh, VMware, where if you have an image, you just sort of download it and then you run it. And that's they're sort of linked. The build and the run is one thing Hmm. but in Docker land. Those are totally separate Uh, build and stage is step one, totally separate from the run stage of spinning up the image and and getting it going. So uh, on our run side, it's different uh, based on cloud, just based on the technology we've chosen. On the Azure side, we use AKS, uh, which allows some really cool like intelligent blue-green provisioning. And when there's a new image, we spin down the old image. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, But the stuff that I built that I love to to wax poetic about is the AWS side, where, like I said, everything is stored in one account. Uh, IAM policies are permitted uh, for all the other accounts to grab the things. And I have it deployed with ECS, uh, I get asked a lot, why didn't I use Kubernetes on the AWS side? <laughs> I just don't really understand it very well yet, but I'm working. It's on my list, yeah. my very long list, uh, and it does everything that I need. Uh, in terms of just, it goes and gets the image, it downloads the secret, and it spins up a couple of hosts. Uh, it also supports auto scale targeting, which is cool. I've sort of hacked together auto scale targeting to. <laughs> Uh, spin down the pools overnight. So we we do kill the container after every job, but say it's a pool that sits for a month. I don't want to have it like out of date. It hasn't uh, spun down. So I zero out all our container pools at night for five whole minutes. And then I spin them back up because when they spin up, they grab the new version. So gotcha. it works okay. very well. It's a very simple hacky solution that works great.
1: A <laughs> <The> simple hacky <laughs> solutions. are. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm I'm all mm-hmm. about it. Now, <laughs> do you have a, like dedicated pools of builders for specific pipelines? So if an app team comes along and they're like, we want to build a pipeline for our application, do you give them their own dedicated pool or is it more of a shared resource pool situation?
2: Again, the answer is yes, because we okay. are trying to be everything for everyone. <laughs> so we do have this general compute pool where if anyone wants to update it and it's you know, universally compatible, which is strikingly few changes, they can go find the Docker file and update it with a pull request and deploy it. But if an app team needs something that is specific to them, like some teams are pinned to old versions of Java or Maven or Gradle, uh, they can check in a Docker file. And we have built our infrastructure in in a horizontally scalable way where we can deploy images, deploy containers just for them in a pool that's specific just for them. Uh, so if they want, uh, older software or a specific, really heavy software, they can just wait around for them, uh, which we've used uh, a couple of times already. Okay. That's the goal is it, we have the, the golden master pool that's ready for you. But if they have a specific need that we can do that too, just give us a Docker file and we'll do the rest.
1: Okay. How are you, um, scaling and and creating these builder agents? Is there something in the pipeline that goes out and says, all right, go spin up a a builder instance before it does anything else. So it knows it can handle it. Or do you have a pool that's always on and ready to go, which sounds kind of wasteful. I think that's what you're trying to get away from.
2: Yeah. And right now we are, we're doing the wasteful one because they're kind of cheap. We looked, Oh, I do remember the number now it's $80 per account to keep that thing running uh, every (laughs) month to keep it running. So I I, I could, it would probably take me 12 hours which would cost a couple of thousand dollars. So uh, I would love to evolve it to a state where it is on-demand instances spun up. And that way it would always be specifically the correct and newest version of our builder Mm -hmm. uh, because it's built on demand. Um, And I think I could probably do that with uh, code build pretty easily. Uh, But it sounds hacky when I describe it because I think it would be a little hacky. So you would run the first stage of your pipeline on the public builder, because it's always available. It's available on demand from Microsoft or whomever. Mm -hmm. And it would send a uh, a, a post or a get request to the code build URL to say, spin up one host. And then that host would register in your pipeline to run stage two. That would actually be the job. (laughs) I'm sure that would work, but it just sounds sounds so hacky. (laughs) Yeah. I just haven't pursued it yet, but... I'm, I'm stewing. I'm getting there.
1: Oh dear. All right. I'm putting ideas in your head. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, yeah, it sounds like, and that you've already automated a lot and you've optimized a lot for cost and Mm -hmm. you've addressed some of the major issues that you found, which was the security problem. Well, you don't have that security problem anymore because it's a fresh build every time. Mm -hmm. And then you know, conflicting versions of things that the dev teams are going to install when it spins up. Nope, because they can install whatever they want because it's going away in a second. Uh, mm-hmm. And you don't have that long lived instance. and you're not using Packer anymore. you got to, got to move over to Docker. What is um, I think I already uh, planted some seeds for you, but what other things <laughs> do you have in your mind going forward that you'd like to see in this project?
2: Absolutely. I think there's two major things. One is automated testing. When someone makes a change to a Docker file or or proposes a change in a PR, we're just making sure Docker builds that you can do some terrible stuff and still have (laughs) Docker succeed, you know, that (laughs) it will actually, it'll destroy everything. So I would love to have it test. And that's kind of true of all of our automation. I want to see a lot more computerized validations built into everything we do mm-hmm. uh unit testing and the uh, semantic version testing and uh, just anything we can um so that's a that's a major one and another thing that we'd like to do is build depth scaling so when we have 50 jobs posted all at once i would love for our CICD to see that and spin up a bunch more builders to manage it because right. Docker does spin up quickly, but it's still maybe a minute or two for another host to, to spin up. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, I think generally, just, we just run two or three containers in every pool in every account. And that's enough if you queue a couple jobs, but Because we're solving for everybody's problems that we'll ever see, (laughs) we need to make sure we can handle more. So uh, some of our teams, like our big data team uh, works with a tremendous amount of data and sometimes has to run like uh, our statistics, things that just need a ton of builders running in parallel. So if we needed 100 jobs queued and run in five minutes, can we do it? And right now the answer is no. So I, I'd love to get there and, and solve that problem before it arises. Before someone asks me, I want to be able to say yes. <laughs>
1: <Gotcha>. Okay. <laughs> that, now that makes a lot of sense to me. And there's definitely ways that you could do it with, with Kubernetes. Um, you could have something that's sort of listening and looking at that build queue. And when it sees the build queue hit a certain threshold, it would automatically scale out the number of instances or pods that are running to handle the build process and then you know potentially scale it back in so there's there's definitely some things you can do there um maybe with kata i'm not sure but I'm, now i'm just throwing words out and i, I don't know if they That's mean anything. <laughs> cool well I, this is fascinating and we can probably talk about this for another two hours but sadly mm-hmm. we are coming towards the end of the ride so if you had a few key takeaways for folks out there some things that they could maybe put into action or or chew on uh, as they're wrapping up the episode uh, what what are some big takeaways for you
2: sure so big stuff is your cicd should be transparent and auditable they should be there shouldn't be a dependency on that one really smart engineer that knows how everything <laughs> works you know the Brent of the phoenix project mm-hmm. you should embed that knowledge procedurally, process-wise, engineering-wise, into your tooling so that anyone can access it. And that democratizes everything that empowers your whole team. It's a huge thing that I try to advocate for that I don't see very often. So it's I will talk about that all day. Uh, Docker, Terraform, other tools that convert sort of human readable language into infrastructure and into processes are just super powerful. And if you're not using them, you should be. Uh, and if you are using them, good for you. And keep developing, keep advocating because we need to see it. It helps people learn and it helps more people get into these industries and do really well. And uh, number three is, is just standard technologies. Like you'll see Docker, you'll see overlay networking start to become much more prevalent that, that syncs and ties clouds together. Look towards those technologies because that is what I see coming down the pipe and what I think will become very influential in the next five to 10 years.
1: Awesome. We will include links to your presentation and a bunch of other things that you've you've thrown in the show notes. We're definitely going to include those if listeners want to know more. Are, are you a social person, Kyler? Is there somewhere people can follow you either on Twitter or LinkedIn? Absolutely. So
2: I, I am on LinkedIn. I'm very active. Uh, just slash Kyler Middleton. There's not very many Kyler Middletons in the world uh, (laughs) with the K like kangaroo, so you can find me. And I'm also uh, KyMid on Twitter and on Medium, easy to find, and KylerMiddleton.com. Come and check it out.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Kyler, for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, Listener out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. If you built some crazy contraption or have a post that has way too many words in it, we want to hear about that post and maybe talk to you. So hit us up on Twitter. It's at day 2 Cloud Show, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website, NedInTheCloud.com. Bit of housekeeping here. Did you know that Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter? It's called Human Infrastructure Magazine, and it is loaded with the best stuff we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It is free, and it does not suck. You can get the next issue at packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.